Welcome to Ed Ideas, relevant conversations for Christian education. As image bearers of God, we have been created to actually carry out this work of cultivation, unpacking, unfurling, so that making is how we be human. Anytime culture is going through transition and there's significant change, you can either look at it as, hey, this is the worst thing ever, or what an opportunity. We know that all adolescents are asking some really direction-setting questions in their life. The very first thing said about us in the Hebrew Scriptures is not that we are bad, that we are dirty, that we are sinful, that we are shameful, that we are anything. The very first thing said about us is we bear the image of God. Welcome to Ed Ideas. This is Brandon Tatum. Today we're following up with Dr. Graves and you're going to get to hear an interview between me and him on the conference stage. Thanks, Dr. Graves. Man, I don't know where to start. I I wrote down about four opening questions. So I'm I'm trying to figure out kind of where to start with here. Maybe let's start with we're at a spiritual formation conference, specifically about Gen Z. Yeah. Why have you here? Uh, do you want your kids to still be Christian? Um, I think you know one of the one of the funniest things to me about when you when you listen to people talk about um, different generations, and you will hear rhetoric like, "Yeah, we don't know why they they don't want to come to church, or we don't know why they're." Um, I don't think we've made it compelling enough for, for millennials. Uh, and I, I think um, our bluff has been called. You know, and if, if you think about the essence of Christianity being kind of like a Gaither concert, pass, right? Um, but if it involves, let's be intentional with homelessness. Let's be intentional with poverty, let's be intentional with Muslim and Christian relationships, um, then I think you offer a compelling, and at least people are rejecting it on good terms. No thanks. How has the Christian community received your book in this topic? Yeah, great question. So when, uh, I'm sure we've got a lot of writers um, and people who love to be around publication. It's interesting in the publishing world, um, at least as I've experienced, uh, the first book you write, you're just happy that someone wants to publish your book so you don't say anything, right? Uh, Then the second book that you write, you really want to sell books. Like you want to make enough to buy more than a candy bar. Um, And then the third book that you write, you want to actually have control or like, you know, artistic influence in, in what it said. So when we got to this third book and we were talking about the title with the publisher, um, I had listed several options, but How Not to Kill a Muslim was at the bottom of the list because I knew my mother would hate it. Um, my mother's quite a bit more conservative than I am, so I knew she wouldn't like it, and I knew it would make Thanksgiving awkward, which it did. So the publisher came back to me and said, uh, we really like your idea of how not to kill a Muslim as the title. So I said this, and by the way, the author has, unless you're like Philip Yancey or Jen Hatmaker or somebody, you're like, the author has very little actual control over that because you've signed, you signed that away. 
So I said, would you afford me uh, the privilege of at least polling some people? So I sent the title, How Not to Kill a Muslim, Manifesto of Hope. I sent that to three different groups. I sent that to my friends who are more evangelical, conservative, politically, and socially. I sent it to my friends who are more progressive, politically, religiously, and socially. And then I sent it to my Muslim friends who are kind of all over the board, politically and socially. My evangelical friends, so my conservative Christian friends and my progressive Christian friends, most of them said, don't, don't use that title. I emailed 15 Muslim friends. All 15 said, that's a great idea for a title. Which is really interesting to me, right? Um, so we went with it because my Muslim friends approved it. <laughs> that's, that's so, and and it, it hasn't been super well received in the sense of like, right. oh, I'm so glad you titled your book that. Yeah, I sorry, still want you to come yeah, to my church and yeah. let's do a How Not to Kill a Muslim yeah, seminar. Um, <laughs> you know what we'll get? Lost rich suburban people in our church. Yeah. A How Not to Kill a Muslim conference. Um, yeah, I, sorry, I didn't really answer your question. Um, silence is usually the greatest indicator of people's response, right? Um, at least that's what I've learned. So silence can be interpreted a lot of ways. There have, I have had some, um, I don't know if you would call it hate mail, or I've had some pretty nasty. Um, I did have one death threat letter that the police had to investigate. Um, but I don't, I mean, are you a preacher if you haven't been threatened once? You know, in Texas it happens all the time, I hear, but, um, so I, I have had, I have had some, what I would call mostly keyboard bravado. These are people who get on social media, you know, um, they're like living in their mom's basement, but they're going to tell you like how to, how you should be engaging <laughs> Muslims in the world. So I, ha I've, I've had more keyboard I have had more keyboard bravado probably than yeah. anything else. Okay, so. so I'm going somewhere. I'm, these are leading questions. Yeah. Um, you can ask a question too. I, yeah, but not yet. Not yet. <laughs> not yet. Not yet. Um, so this de is it deconstructing, reconstructing, deconstructing? Am, am I on to something there? Yeah. Have you heard there's that? There's the. I mean, Mark. Yeah. Doctor Love could explain it. more. Been in philosophy. Yeah. You have. Yeah, yeah. You have those three moves. I yeah. feel like. Part of our reaching Generation Z mm -hmm. as adults, we're going to have to deconstruct some narratives we've always believed. Absolutely. And I think from conversation at lunch, I think James, Jamie, mm -hmm. um, maybe threw some things out there that says, you might need to deconstruct some things. Yeah. I think you're kind of saying, I think we need to deconstruct some yeah. things. We live in these silos. Yeah. Our kids see that and see what you're doing, and they think, yes. We should be doing that. The adults, uh, not so much. Yeah. We're scared of it. And so, what are your thoughts? Yeah. Well, anytime um, I hear parents say things about kids these days, my first response is, yeah, who raised them, right? They must be awful. <laughs> Wait a second. Um, yeah. One of the things I try to do a lot in the book is to talk about the way that stereotypes allow the stories to continue. So Jamie did a brilliant job of talking about the stories. Um, I heard a, a Bollywood producer several years ago, of all people, he said, the reason I keep doing what I'm doing, he'd made millions of dollars, 
He said, the reason I keep doing what I do, what I do is because I believe as humans, we are the stories we tell ourselves. And he says, so I want to give people better stories to tell themselves. And I think one of the exciting things about um, teaching in like a private Christian context where you lead um, is you can be incredibly explicit and direct with naming the stories that we tell ourselves, right? Naming the false stories that we tell ourselves, the idolatrous stories, and then giving better stories, more beautiful stories, because they're out there, right? They are out there in literature. They're out there in in Hollywood. um, They're out there in music and art. Um, but it, it has to be a very intentional decision made by educators to do that. You're allowed to speak. All right, thank you. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, so I'm gonna. He must have something on you. Well, like, he, yeah, I'm not going to share it here. <laughs> but so uh, the first one. You can tell is, me later. This <laughs> is maybe connecting some of the dots a little bit. So I worked in student ministry for a decade mm-hmm. plus in the 2000s and. One of the things that I started to notice in them, uh, the students that I worked with at least, is a lot of these social issues that older evangelical leaders and churches kind of elevated as the important ones and the divisive ones, it was really a non-issue for them. Uh, We went to the Southern Poverty Law Center when we were in Montgomery on a mission trip, and they were wrestling through one of the state questions in California with uh, the LGBTQ community. Mm-hmm. And it was just such a non-issue to them that right. I know a lot of the leaders were shocked. And so looking at, especially with Generation Z, kind of the statistics yeah. you threw out. So are you noticing trends with younger people that as they encounter, like it's, it's less of an issue, um, the diversity and especially with yeah. religion for a lot of our younger folk. Are you yeah. seeing that? Can you speak maybe a little bit to how you've... Yeah. I think a lot of it, has, that's a great question. I think a lot of it has to do with proximity. Um, like where I live in a really wealthy part of Nashville, it's a ghetto. It's just a really dressed up, affluent ghetto. So for me, it's all about proximity. Um, are, are we intentionally um, going to, like one of the things I'm missing tonight in Nashville and I'm, I'm happy to be here, but there's a huge, huge, the biggest iftar dinner in all of Middle Tennessee is tonight. I was going to take my oldest son with me, which was a fight because he plays basketball on Monday night. So when Jamie was talking about competing sports narratives, I was like, man, someone turned the air conditioning on in this room. It is. Um, so, yes, but it's about proximity and intentionality because um, I think the most powerful thing to do as a parent uh, as an educator, as a coach, it's to not give your kids a choice of if they want to do it or not. When, when did we make choice such a big thing, right? Um, I know this. Uh, I learned this actually working, uh, partnering with African-American churches in Detroit. If you or I show up to something, Habitat Build, a conference, uh, a, a justice work, our Muslim neighbors will respect it. You bring your kids they know you're in it. They know like, okay, this isn't your job. So I would just say to that, it just depends on proximity. There is a natural movement towards being more open because that's what happens in youth culture. You know, we, you see that every 30 or 40 years. But unless there's intentional proximity of engagement, it, it, it doesn't change. Yeah. So a question that we did get posted here that I think really yeah. speaks 
a lot to at least my context where I serve, yeah. but a lot of the context that are represented here. But the question is, my Christian family has a U.S. military uh, veterans, and they're offended when I reach out to people who are family members fought against uh, Muslims. Okay. Um, how do I reconcile? So maybe so, broadening that just a little bit. Yeah. So we live in a, I mean, we're one of the reddest states here in Oklahoma yeah. in, in the country. Yeah. Uh, there's, I mean, Tennessee, we could, yeah, battle, we could battle that out. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But one of the things you recognize is as church leaders, when you start to speak yeah. this kind of vision of inclusivity in the yeah. church, you're going to battle yeah. um, some people's ideologies Absolutely. and thoughts and politics and all those things. And so how do you navigate yeah. that? How did you navigate where there are costs to that? And, yeah. and how do we help us move forward a little bit so, in those conversations? Oh, I'm thankful for that question. I, so I mentioned my two brothers-in-law, one's a former Marine, one's a, currently a lieutenant colonel. Uh, the lieutenant colonel is not a Jesus person. He would not consider himself a believer. He's a remarkable person. Um, right now, my mom currently likes him better than me, um, but I'll save that for my counselor on Friday. Um, he's a beautiful person. But he's not a Jesus person, and, he, and he's pretty open with it. He's a top-of-his-class University of Michigan grad. Um, he called me several years ago when he was home. He'd just come back from Afghanistan the second time, and he said, hey, when you're in Michigan for Christmas, can I take you out to dinner? Which may have been the most words he'd ever spoken to me. And I said, absolutely. We spent two hours at a J. Alexander's in Detroit uh, talking about sustainable living in Afghanistan because the first time he went to Afghanistan, he went as a soldier. The second time he went as a community builder. And when he came back the second time, he said he had fallen in love with the people of Afghanistan that he didn't the first time. And he knew that nothing in his training had prepared him to lead this huge convoy of men from the state of Michigan to be community builders. But he knew that what we were doing in our church with digging water wells, with doing... Uh, holistic mission work that he knew that I would have some access to resources so that fundamentally changed my family members who were saying things like why are you reaching out to the people that our brother is fighting and and with respect to the person's question uh, it, that question actually exposes some real interesting convictions that aren't true right um, Islam is incredibly diverse and so the idea that you're reaching out to the people that your brother's fighting, if, if you just peel, up, peel the layers back of what you're really saying, you're creating a whole them category and a whole us category that is based on the flag. It's not based on Jesus of Nazareth. And it took our unbelieving, beautiful brother-in-law as a lieutenant colonel coming to me to quell some of the other people in our family who are like, why does Josh love Muslims so much, you know? Which I think is God, because that's his sense of humor, right? He just messes with us. So, so did you get, when you started rolling this, I mean, I guess it's just part of who you are, but when yeah. you started having these conversations, challenging, I mean, looking at that couple in that video, I mean, it was, I mean, that's surprising. I mean, truthfully, when I Wh watched which it. Which couple, sorry. The older couple that was on the couch talking, they hosted oh, a dinner yeah, party. Yeah, like, yeah, that's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. I don't sorry. know if I would 
expect that to have been the yeah, couple, like a yeah. young thirty-year-old couple. Perfect, right. that makes sense. But this older couple that would have yeah. done something that like that was strategic in my part. Yeah, put well, them in front of the yeah. Candy. Show them. All people. Um, so the question <laughs> was: there pushback from people, leaders in your community, in your yeah. church community, and how do you respond to some of those things? Um, so Nashville is a pretty church town. If you didn't know that, um, what I what happened. Um, let me do this in layers. Within my own church, I got very little pushback because um, I go to their, I show up to the hospital when they're sick. I've walked with them through cancer. I've tell stories about my kids. You know, so a lot of them are like, well, that's Josh, and that's not what I'm called to, but I trust him. So I, I got very little pushback within my church. Um, but what was really interesting is in the broader Nashville community, I mean, we have some unbelievably wealthy churches in Nashville that are re they're really big churches, Baptist churches, Methodist churches. Those pastors, when this PBS thing called me and said, hey, could we talk? And the insinuation was kind of like, and let's just keep this conversation between us. Because what I've learned is that most pastors are far more ahead of where their church perceives them to be. Um, and I was fine with that, man, because I'm, I'm a pragmatist. Like, I want to meet people where they are. Um, now, their question to me was, how do I do this and not get killed in my context? And for some of them, you know, I said, okay, here's how I think you do it. And for some of them, I would say, I don't think you can do it and not get killed. But here's the great thing about Christianity. You can't have a resurrection unless you have a crucifixion. So it's not the worst thing in the world if you lose your job, right? <laughs> you can come sleep at my house. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, yeah. This conference is fascinating because I think sometimes we um, we hear about spiritually engaging Gen Z. We hear about these topics or these Facebook videos. And I think we sometimes think, okay, maybe we'll get the trick. Right. Maybe we'll find the trick. And, and one of the scary parts for me is the trick might be getting out of my comfort zone big time. Uh, and trying to live the life that the gospel is calling me to live because it's the gospel that they're reading, yeah. but they're not seeing lived out on a daily basis by the adults in their life. Yeah, yeah and I, that's important to name. And I would add to that, um, it's a uniquely American thing to be driven by results. I don't mean that other parts of the world don't care about results. But I'm saying, like, it's the, germ, it's the German influence on American culture, right? We are so uh, arrested by results. So here's what I want to say. Um, there may be nothing we can do to turn the ship. But globally speaking, Christianity is doing great. So we can get beyond having to be successful and have the thing and just get on with the business of being creative and being faithful. And if Christianity continues to suffer in the United States, I'm not losing sleep over it because the whole, this whole thing wasn't our idea, right? This belongs to God. And Christianity globally is thriving. And, you know, they're going to come back as, as, as they are now. Africans are going to come back and they're going to plant churches here and South Americans are going to do the same. Christianity is going to be fine. Uh, we can get on the business of being creative and being faithful. It's going to be okay. That's great. Anything else? Thank you. Time for, is up. Hey, thanks for being thank here. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for tuning in to this week's podcast. 
If you enjoyed the conversation, please hit subscribe and follow our podcast. It's important that we continue these relevant conversations for Christian education.